Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Serial Killers Cafe. I'm your host Stephanie, here with my co-host Ariel. Hi everyone. And this week we are talking about the Boston Strangler. Y'all, this guy is crazy. And I mean all serial killers are. But there's a lot of interesting facts about this one. So, before we dive in, talk about what we're drinking today and definitely what you should try. I am drinking David's Tea Caribbean Crush. It's another sweeter tea. Um, I usually always add a tiny bit of honey. And the tea bags, um, it's all loose tea. So I just buy tea bags on Amazon and load them up. And I have a ton of them with me at all times. And Aaron, hey, what are, are they like drinking? disposable tea bags that you can just put your own tea in? <gasps> yeah. Cool. I'm learning so much. About tea? <laughs> just about drinks in general. They I'm even so have boring. ones that are um, like plastic or metal. So you can rinse one. them. Yeah. So they're reusable. But these ones are just disposable. So it's a loose tea. I literally just... I have, like, a scooper, and yeah. I just put it in and pull the string. Um, and it gives me the option, actually, to try a ton more flavors because a lot of more, a yeah. lot of teas are looser. But uh, I just, I like it. All of David's you can buy, and it's almost all loose. Mm, so all right. I have tons of flavors, and I did even get a few that aren't sweet so I can test them out and tell oh, people. Oh, I would like those. So. Yeah. So we'll definitely um, do that. I mean, I'm boring per usual. I'm <laughs> hot chocolate because it's freezing here. I don't know where y'all live, but let me tell you, if it's in New England, it's like 20 degrees with a wind chill of negative 1 million. Yeah. It's like, so today's 30, but it feels like one. Yeah. You're like, cool, cool. It's definitely want to be every outside. Every year I see that meme and it's like, why do I live in a place that- That like, hurts my face hurts? when yes. I walk? Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. Uh, yes. Yeah. But honestly, we'll never move. So no. we're just going to constantly complain right, about people complain about it while we continue to live yeah. in a cold place. Right, right, right. So anyway- Let's dive into Albert DeSalvo, mm-hmm. a.k.a. the Boston Strangler. Yes, this guy's super fun. So, Albert DeSalvo, born on September 3rd, 1931 in Chelsea, Mass. Uh, so it's about 10 minutes outside Boston. He was the son of Frank and Charlotte DeSal- DeSalvo. Um, he came from a pretty tough upbringing. His father was a violent alcoholic who, <laughs> fun fact, at one point knocked out all of his wife's teeth and, because that wasn't bad enough, bent her fingers back until they broke. And this was all done in front of their children. Oh, my gosh. I'm uncomfortable so, just thinking like, about that. He sounds like a super nice guy. Yeah, 10 out of 10. Um, yeah. So, DeSalvo kind of just, like, learned from the best. Um, at a young age, he was torturing animals. Um, he also was shoplifting um, at a young age. In November of 1943... So he would have been about 12. Uh, he had his first arrest for battery and robbery. In December of that same year, he was sent to called the Lyman School for Boys, which we see this a lot. We've gone over a couple of killers who end up in these like reform schools. I think that in like the 30s, 40s, this was very popular. Yeah, for sure. Um, I actually watched a documentary. It was horrific on Penhurst. Um, it's, it was in Pennsylvania. If you want to never sleep again, like, watch this. I don't sleep now, so okay, definitely Okay, so you should probably watch this. Um, it's just, like, horrifying what these kids, because they were kids, like, had to endure. And just patient, like, oh, I watched actually a couple yesterday. I don't know. I was in the mood to never sleep. I have no idea. As long um, as you got a game plan. Yeah, so, like, one was, like, a mental hospital. One was a reform school. Like, all that good I stuff. I think what's unfortunate is, obviously, all of these 
serial killers and especially kids at this time um are already like messed up in the head and then right. they go to these places which escalate mm-hmm. all of these properties in them whereas right. it had they like been given a chance or a nice mm-hmm. for them like maybe they would have never acted on these things so you can't help but think like some of these were defining factors in why they turned out the way they right. turned out um so all right so he's 12 years old he goes to the um, lineman school for boys uh, in 1944, so just a year later, he was paroled. They use that term as if he was in prison. I was going to say, paroled at 13, yeah, but I, okay. Okay. Uh, and he actually started working as a delivery boy. Um, however, two years after that, he ended up back at the Lyman School for Boys for stealing a car. Um, so it seems like these reform schools, these kids go there, I mean, from things as little as, like, truancy at school to you know grand theft auto like um so it really can just be anything and everything he was released uh, from the lyman school and joined the army he actually served as a sergeant um in the military police he seemed to do okay however he ultimately was discharged um for dishonesty it doesn't go further into detail i assume it was something pretty big in order for them to kick him well i say kick him out but he it was considered an honorable discharge so i don't exactly know what happened there um so i mean either way he ended up being honorably discharged so um let me see DeSalvo also spent some time in prison for this is fun (laughs) for a series of peeping tom uh incidents so basically what he would do and I don't necessarily know that I would call this a peeping Tom incident, but everything online referred to it as this, but you guys, you make your own opinion. Uh, so he would knock on women's doors, like total strangers, pretending he was a model scout, like a scout for a modeling company. And then he would tell the women that he had to measure them. So these women would be like, you know, probably in their underwear. Yeah, for sure. Uh, getting measured. And... He just had that charming personality. He was fairly good looking. So they always let him in. The cops, like once he left and they found out that he was a creep, uh, anytime the cops were called, there was no sign of forced entry. Like these women just let him in the house because it was just, he just had that personality that I guess he seemed trustworthy. I don't know. Yeah. Um, But so he did end up, they did catch him and he spent 18 months in prison. Um, it was considered sexually oriented mischievousness. So, I mean, yeah. that's kind of a weird way to put it, but to each his own. All right, so after his 18 months in prison, he actually decides to settle down and he marries Ermgard Im- Beck. I can't help but think that this girl's name looks like their Ermgard. <laughs> 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 Every time I see it, I'm like, oh gosh, that's a terrible name. Um, so she was from Germany. They had a child who unfortunately was born handicapped, um, but they seemed to make it work. Yeah. His wife um, didn't actually did not want to have any more kids with him and tried to avoid having sex with him altogether because she was just afraid that they were going to have another handicapped kid. Um, but, you know, as marriage goes, eventually something happened and she did get pregnant again. Um, but this, she ended up giving birth to a healthy baby boy. Um, she is kind of quoted saying that she believed that having a healthy baby really turned Salvo 
into like a great family man or at least he pretended to be for a little while yeah for sure then, she was definitely fooled. Not so much. So I'm going to get into his crimes, and I'm also going to go over this timeline. So if I sound a little all over the place, it's just because there's so much going on with him. But I definitely think the timeline is equally as important. So first, I'll go through his crimes. So between June 14th of 1962 and January 4th of 1964, so not even two years, 13 single women between the ages of 19 and 85 were murdered in the Boston area and eventually were tied to the Boston Strangler. Just so you are aware, and we will get a little further into it, he used to go after older women at first, and then it seems like as maybe the police or detectives started catching on that that was like his type, he actually went way down to younger women. So that's why there's such a big age gap, because I think he was trying to like throw police off, and that's why he went from like 70 and 80 year old woman to like a 19 year old i feel like he also probably tried to like he started out with old people because he probably felt like he could control them more for sure like even physically yeah it'd be a lot easier to subdue an 85 year old woman like than a 19 year old yeah so most of uh the women were sexually assaulted in their apartments and like ariel said were let in in the same type of ruse where he was like hey blah 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 um he was just nice and charming. I mean, obviously, the older woman, I'm sure he wasn't like, I'm a model scout. I'm sure you want to do that. <laughs> but he was definitely very charming. And it was really easy for him, it seems, to sweet talk his way into people's apartments um, under whatever ruse he was using. So he would sexually assault them and then strangle them with articles of their clothing. Uh, the eldest victim did die of a heart attack. Two others were stabbed to death. And then one was actually really badly beaten. And like Arrow said, since there was no sign of forced entry, the women were all assumed to either have known their killer or just voluntarily let him in. And I'm, we're definitely thinking the latter. Right. I'm not going to go with he just happened to be friends with all of these. <laughs> with, uh, with every, this is a very large age demographic. Right. So in the fall of 1964, in addition to the Strangler murders, the police were also trying to solve a series of rapes committed by a man who had been dubbed the Measuring Man or the Green Man. And like Arrow and I have discussed yeah, about numerous serial killers. This is definitely a trend. It seems that a lot of times they have committed, they they are tied to other crimes, but they can't fully put them in there. So though they might say like, oh, well, we know he was the Boston Triangle and did these, but he might have also, he might have also done these other 20 crimes. Right. But we're not 100% sure, and most of those usually end up going unsolved, unfortunately. So in October 27th of 1964, a stranger entered a young woman's home in East Cambridge, posing as a detective. He tied the victim to the bed, sexually assaulted her, and then left saying, I'm sorry. Hmm. Which, this is the first time he's shown any remorse. I know, why? I wonder why this one. Yeah, exactly. The woman's description led police to identify him as Albert DeSalvo. When his photo was published, many women identified him as the man who had assaulted them earlier. On October 27th, he posed as a motorist with car trouble in attempted to enter another home. So these are both on the same day. He is, like, wasting no time. Right. The owner of the home, who was actually ended up being the future Brockton police chief, Richard Sprouls, became suspicious and ultimately fired a shotgun at him. Good for him. So that's pretty crazy. So before Ariel gets into, like, his crimes, I mean, his arrests and everything, I'm just going to go through the timeline so you guys kind of can get an idea, and then we'll delve into it as we finish up. So... January 4th of 1964, Mary Sullivan, who was 19, the last of the 11 victims, was actually found murdered in her apartment in a section of Boston. 
1965, Albert DeSalvo, a factory worker, being held on unrelated charges, confesses to the Stranglers' 11 killings and two others. Never charged. In 1973, DeSalvo kills a, is killed in prison by another inmate. In July of 1999, so mind you, people are still like, <laughs> this is still no, a very, hooray. yeah. Police reopened the Strangler case, hoping to use DNA technology to analyze evidence from the crimes. In September of 2000, the DeSalvo and Sullivan family sue local and state authorities in mass to force investigators to turn over crime scene evidence because they believe that DeSalvo was innocent. And they were like, this is what we're sticking to. In October of 2000, the next month, Sullivan's remain, remains were uh, exhumed for DNA testing. October 20th of, 20, of 2000, Attorney Mass, Mass, sorry, Massachusetts Attorney General Thomas Riley says his office will do new DNA tests on evidences from the slayings. That's crazy. October 2001, so now a year later, DeSalvo's body is exhumed for DNA testing. In December of that same year, Forensic scientists announced that DNA evidence taken from Sullivan's body does not match DeSalvo's DNA. Mm. On Christmas Eve of 2001, December 24th, judge says state doesn't need to share forensic evidence with DeSalvo and the Sullivan families because the investigation into the killings is still open. Now, 2001, okay, we're, this is, this is a very long ongoing. Yeah, really. In July of 2013, Suffolk District Attorney Daniel Conley says advances in DNA technology have allowed investigators to link DeSalvo to Sullivan's killing. Mm. Conley says the DNA produced a familial match with DeSalvo and ex- he expects an exact match once DeSalvo's remains are re-exhumed. So they're going to re-exhume him again. Mm. Now mind you, that's only seven years ago right. that that happened. But this started, he killed his last victim in 1964. Wow, that's a long... So... Career. It's a very, very, like we said, long right. timeline. And I feel like it's super important because, I mean, people did not give up. It was closed. It was open. Right. It was closed. It was open. We're exhuming bodies. We're putting them back. We're exhuming them again. There's a lot going on here. So now Ariel's going to go into his arrest. Okay. So uh, DeSalvo was actually under arrest for his role in the Green Man Rapes. Because as we said before, once police put his picture out, there was a ton of positive identifications. Um so, at this time, though, they had still weren't suspecting him of being involved with the murders. So, it was only after he was charged with rape did he give a detailed confession of his role as the Boston Strangler. Um, so, he did this both under hypnosis and then also um, without hypnosis during interviews with the Assistant Attorney General, John Bottomley. So, DeSalvo initially confessed to his inmate... Um, George Nasser, who then notified his attorney, Effley Bailey. Bailey ends up taking the case for DeSalvo. Plot twist. To defend him. Right. <laughs> so. This guy's like, yo, my inmate is also a bad dude. You want to help him out? Right. Like, how does that. He's like, deaf, no problems. Like, yeah. I, don't know. I always wonder, like, obviously, you know, everyone deserves fair representation, but I always wonder how you choose, like, are you going to. Which criminal am I going to defend? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, he ends up taking the case. So, I guess there were some inconsistencies, or at least this is what police said. Uh, However, DeSalvo was able to give, like, a lot of details that hadn't been made public. So, that was kind of the, like, oh, okay, he obviously, if he didn't do it, he knows so who did. 
Um, or like he took part or right. something happened here. So because during all this, there was no physical evidence um, to go with his confession. So regardless, he stood trial for um, unrelated crimes of robbery and sexual offenses like um, the rapes that he had committed. Uh, his lawyer brought up the confession of the murders as part of his client's history at the trial trying to get uh, an insanity defense which obviously the judge ruled inadmissible because give me a break that's ridiculous. i can probably see this happening to with a lot of serial killers um trying to use it's actually funny i want to say trying to use their past but a lot of them won't talk about their past right i know so you have one or the other either they're like f you i'm not saying anything or they're like please sit down let's have some tea yeah like, like so lots of things happen yeah for yeah. sure it's very um, so, in 1967, DeSalvo was sentenced to life in prison. February of 1967, so he was barely in prison, uh, he escaped right. with two fellow inmates from Bridgewater State Hospital. So, I guess he, technically he was in the hospital part, not the prison part. But, so he triggers a full-scale manhunt. Naturally. Of course. So, DeSalvo <laughs> left a note on his bunk. That was addressed to the superintendent of the hospital. And in it, he basically was like, listen, I escaped because you guys need to pay attention to the conditions of this hospital. Three days after the escape, he called his lawyer to turn him in. Uh, his lawyer sent the cops out to get him. He was in Lynn, Mass. Following the escape, he was transferred to the maximum security prison, though. Um, at the time, it was called Walpole where he ended up <laughs> while he was there he took back his confessions of being a boston strangler of course i mean it's kind of like too little too late though at this point yeah i always wonder when people were can't like especially people who are guilty like right what you're expecting out of something like this right. you know what i mean um but so he he was only in prison for a few years because he ended up um getting stabbed to death in when he was in the prison infirmary Robert Wilson, who is associated with what is called the Winter Hill Gang, I assume that's a prison gang, uh, ended up being tried for DeSalvo's murder, but the trial ended up in a hung jury. But as of now, it's he's still considered the person who killed um, DeSalvo by stabbing him to death. So he died in 1973. Yeah. So, few fun facts about this guy. Several films and actually a couple of books about him and the events that took place. So we obviously did our research, but there actually was less info than we thought there was going to be about him. I know. I was For really someone who surprised. had such a long timeline, yes. um, you and would have so assumed famous. there would have been endless amounts mm -hmm. of information, but he actually, we didn't have a lot of information no. on him. Um, apart from the fact that his victims were women, there was actually no clear link between any of them. It almost seemed like, I'm just going to knock on some random person's door and see if I can get myself in the in, inside right. and then take it from there. Very, very opportunistic. Um, another one that's a very interesting fun fact. You want to read that one? No, you can read it. <laughs> I'm not sure where you're at. <laughs> okay. Um, he, uh, he may not have been alone. So because two of his victims were stabbed instead of being strangled, many believe he couldn't have done it alone. Why? 
Because that wasn't like his MO. Like but why wouldn't he have been able to do it alone? People stab people all the time. I, I I'm just going with the facts here. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't speak to him personally about it. I didn't go check out the detective on the case. You didn't exhume his body. I didn't exhume his body myself, even though apparently that continues to happen. So anyway, they assumed he didn't work alone and another one of the big reasons of that was because of those inconsistent details he gave. So it might have only been a few, but generally when we do talk about serial killers they're very proud of their work. So they don't usually, right. like, they can re- recount exactly what they did, who they did it to when they did it, because they're very proud of what they've done. Right. So to have any sort of inconsistencies really threw people off. And maybe he did it on purpose. I mean, he was very calculated. He could have purposely been like, yeah, just throw a detail or two in there. You don't know. Yeah. But it definitely made people, you know, think twice about it just being him working alone. Um. And like I said before, he did go from older woman to younger woman to throw off suspicion. The day before the good one. Yeah. This fun fact. This fun fact is really good. So the day before he was stabbed to death, he had called Dr. Ames Roby, who was actually a forensic psychologist, frantically called Dr. Roby, begged the doctor to come visit him right away and to bring a reporter like called left messages and was like you need to get here right now this is super important bring a reporter blah 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 before he could schedule the meeting for the next day he was found dead this was obviously insane for a lot of reasons but a lot of people assumed he may have told them he may have wanted to tell them information that they had long awaited like was he really the boston triangler was there another guy did he work alone? Why did he stab those two people? Like, was did he, he know he was going to get killed? Is that like... Or did someone hear him make the call? Right. And then we're like, okay, time to do some stabby stabs. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just, it's crazy to me because that's insane. Right. And then it's like, obviously, everyone now is like dying to know what he was going to say. Most, yeah. most, uh prisoners aren't calling up asking for reporters to come like he clearly had something big to say if he was like i need a doctor that's a forensic psychologist and i need a reporter and i need them here right this minute and then imagine if they had made it in time i know oh my god it would have been crazy um all the more information we would have had to do this (laughs) uh, yeah seriously gosh freaking internet slacking no i'm just kidding (laughs) we appreciate everything that everyone puts on the internet because we wouldn't be able to do this without their hard work So, and then another really great fun fact about him is that he actually wanted people to believe he was much more calculating and vicious than he was. And therefore, police believed he would admit to just about anything just for, like, the fame of it all. Right. Which is craziness because... Like that guy on that documentary I told you to watch. The Confessions oh, I did start watching it. It's insane. So good, though. It's so good. It's absolutely Crazy. insane. I actually took a break because I was watching the Aaron Hernandez <gasps> documentary. Yeah. Very good. I actually learned a lot. I didn't. Yeah. I, like, well, I knew he I killed people know. and right. played for the Patriots and then got yeah. in jail and killed himself. Like, that was, right. that was the extent of, like... Yeah, me too. So it was very interesting. Uh, you guys can check that out. It's on Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if um, you have not already. In case you haven't realized, Ariel and I watch a lot of Under Arrest for You. And a lot of Netflix. Those are pretty much yes. where... All crime related. Yes, for sure. So, 
I do think we should point out though that because he was so calculating and vicious or wanted people to believe that's who he was, he could have confessed a, sh- a shit ton of stuff he didn't do. I know, right. And then that makes me think again, what about, what he would he have told the reporter? Right. Like, oh, actually, I, di- I only killed like that group of women. All these other people that murdered all these other people was not me at all. I just wanted the fame for it. I mean, and like we said, guys, this is still going on. I mean, the last update was 2013. They were still going to re-exhume his body. Yeah. And that was only seven years I ago. I they don't have a more recent update. I wish they did. Well, we can double check. I didn't find anything when I looked no, yesterday either. either. But Like, not anything recent, at least. I'm right. The Boston Triangular, 2020. Guys, I can't believe it's 2020. Right. There's apparently a band called the Boston Triangular Tour Dates 2020. <laughs> <laughs> so if you guys want to check not, them out not quite what we're looking for but I mean hey so yeah very interesting unfortunately there definitely isn't a ton um, we don't usually promote other podcasts just because I know like they're very specific and whatever but Serial which is obviously a podcast about serial killers uh, also did a fresh look at his case mm-hmm. as well so uh, it was actually super interesting and what Serial does is they talk about more in depth into the case itself mm. versus just like we like to go like over his history, life and stuff. Right. Yeah. So, but still, um, hoping that eventually we'll get maybe more information. I mean, it seems like basically they assumed that in 2013 it was solved. They were like, we need to re-exhume his body, but we're pretty sure this is like what? the nail in his coffin, even though he's gone. But <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that is the Boston Strangler in a nutshell, guys. He is... He was definitely an interesting one. Mm. Wish there's more info, but still. Yeah, so. Very interesting. Pretty, uh, and for us, I mean, for you guys, where we live in New England, we're about 40 minutes from Boston. Exactly. Right. So it was definitely interesting for us because we're closer in right. the vicinity. So that's all we have for today. Make sure you follow us, like us. Rate us. Rate us. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm forgetting all the social medias. Yes. Uh, App Store. Uh, we're on all the podcast platforms. iHeartRadio. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Podcasts, Spotify. There's like a million of them. And email us if you have uh, recommendations. Yeah, SerialKillersCafe at gmail.com. Super simple. Um, And we are super excited. So we will chat with you guys next week.